0: I'm going to try to give you a few thoughts to maybe chase and when we say, Chase, go to the Bible yourselves, and I'll be using the Scripture today, I'll ask you to turn to several places in the Scripture, which is okay. Uh, we actually do believe the Bible here, and uh, that is a blessing. Uh, but there is a reason why we celebrate. There's a reason why we play the piano. There's a reason why we sing together. The reason why we open these hymns, and all the hymns that we sang this morning are about the resurrected Savior and filled with doctrine, meaning teaching, biblical truths that we're singing and we're reflecting with our voices back to God. Thank you him for what he had accomplished 2,000 years ago. So getting into this, let's go ahead and, if you would, get to the book of Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse number 14, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and um, this will be a good place to start. Hebrews 2 and verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore, in verse number 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for the day that we, we have today, the, the day that uh, we rejoice, the day that we have the opportunity to be reminded of what victory over death is. God, we thank you for the absolute historical fact, the historical reality that Jesus Christ came back from the dead. We thank you, Lord, this morning that we've been given the Bible to give clarity and deepen our appreciation for what this is. And God, I pray if there's one here that does not know where they're going to go if they die, That, Lord, they would get saved before it's eternally too late. I pray for the believer today that is saved, secure. Lord, I thank you for the the promise of eternal life. And I do pray that you would help us, Lord, to show great appreciation, joy over a resurrected Savior, over an empty tomb, over a promise that had been fulfilled. So guide us and bless and use, Lord, whatever feeble words that are used today from behind this pulpit. God, I feel so unworthy. I feel many times, Lord, that I cannot put into words the glories of what this really is. And I pray that you'd help, Lord, to loosen my lips and give me the words to say so that the words that you want these people to hear are understood. Guide us and bless us and use us and humble us before a holy God. Thank you for all that you have done, all that you've accomplished, all of the promises that you made. And help us, Lord, never to forget what happened 2,000 years ago as we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Reasons why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one, because of the price of the resurrection. It took me a while to really wrap my mind around this, and, and there's a premise to this thought here in Hebrews chapter two, you find here that the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned here uh, in the personal pronoun. He also, the Bible says, likewise took part of the same and is referenced as being flesh and blood. The Lord Jesus Christ becoming flesh and blood, the Christ, the Messiah, the only begotten of the father, robing himself, as we mentioned in flesh being born uh, there in Bethlehem and being able to have the same passions and like passions as we are, yet without sin. That that is too incredibly wonderful for us to comprehend what he did. And here's the premise of this thought, because when he became flesh and blood, he is going to do something that really surprised most of those that believed in the Old Testament, and even today has become a stumbling block for those in Israel today, that God could be killed, that God could be brought to death. And yet you find all through the scripture that there was a prediction that there is going to be a killing of the Son of God. And interestingly, the premise of the thought here, Hebrews chapter two, is that it would be one price. And by the way, when we, we talk about a price, we're talking about something all of us can understand what that is. Cost, sacrifice, taking something that is valuable and trading it for something that you believe is also valuable. There would be one thing if the price that uh, of giving your life Uh, would be involuntary in other words if someone were to take someone else's life and the person that were to have their life taken and they were to pay the price of an involuntary sacrifice that's one price if you would but there would be many others who would agree that when you are giving your life as a voluntary sacrifice that's another whole level of price it's another whole level of value that's the premise today. And understanding this, in Hebrews, uh, we're referencing the Lord Jesus Christ as being flesh and blood. He took part of the same. The Bible says it behooved him in verse 17. In other words, he wanted to do this. He desired to do this. He desired to robe himself in flesh. He desired to do something that that uh, most would not have completely understood. And even to this day, we're still at all in what he did 2,000 years ago. So to understand this, we understand that death has power. And note here that there are, I think, 6,800 graves in the cemetery right around the corner from our church and it's filling up every week every day there's more funerals and cemeteries all across our land it's pot full if you would of cemeteries and graves and 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 tombstones reminding those that are still alive that someone that was alive at one time is no longer alive their body is beneath the sod underneath this tombstone they are all over the world every community has been reminded of death. Why? Because death has been reigning for the last 6,000 years. It appears to be reigning right now. Why? Because death has power. There is simply a very interesting, as you look at Romans 5, 12, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but Romans 5 in verse 12, it's in the New Testament. It says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Therefore, death passed upon all men for all have sinned unpacking that verse simply that there was one man that came into the world. And when he came into the world, uh, he made a decision in Genesis chapter number three to disobey the only one command that God gave him. And when he did that, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that sin entered into the cosmos, into the world. And then there's a penalty because of that. And death by sin. Therefore, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You all know this this morning. Uh, you look at the obituary, you know this, and I know this, that one day your name is going to be in the newspaper under the obituary category. Why? Because all of us are subjected to death. It's biblical understanding that because of that one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, and we this morning are born into sin. Now, think about this. Think about this. Satan has no problem in bringing people to death. In fact, the Bible says about Satan in John chapter 8 and verse number 44, Jesus called him a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So so Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the deceiver... Uh, Our adversary. He's under many different names. He is one that murders. He has has no problem murdering. He has no pity in murdering. He has been throughout the ages uh, one that carries out joyfully the sin curses penalty, which is death. And he's been murdering. He's been killing Down through the centuries. Why? He's a murderer. Think about this. We know the devil loves to do this. We know that it's part of his, if you would, DNA. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, they call him the prince of preachers, says this about Lucifer. He says, I think death is the devil's masterpiece. With the solidarity exception of hell, death is certainly the most satanic mischief that sin hath accomplished. Nothing ever delighted the heart of the devil so much as when he found that the threatening would be fulfilled. When he said, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Satan loves to murder. Satan loves to kill. And you find here that he, in, in a just way, can carry out murder after murder after murder Over those that are under the penalty of death. Romans 5 verse number 12. So he repeatedly down through history from the Genesis chapter 3 has been murdering and killing people. He's the king of terror. And when Jesus came into this world shortly after his birth, Satan tried to murder him. You remember when he had Herod. Go into the town of Bethlehem and kill all the firstborn children from two years old and under trying to murder this Messiah, trying to murder Jesus Christ. He tried to kill him in the synagogue. He tried to, if you would, have him cast himself down. In off a cliff. They tried to throw him off a cliff. The plans uh, that were trying to murder Satan, uh, murder rather, Jesus uh, by Satan, were all through his life, but none of them worked until Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate sentenced him with execution. I can imagine what joy Satan would have had as the crowd there looked at Pilate with the question, I find no fault in this man. And yet they said, crucify him, crucify him. And as that sentence was pronounced, Satan, no doubt, and all the counsels of hell rejoiced that finally Jesus was where they wanted him to be. Jesus was going to go into the clutches of death. He was going to go into the dark domain as we sung just a few minutes ago. He is going to go into the valley of the shadow of death. No man has ever come back from death. And so a logical conclusion is that this man will be no different. This person will be no different. Satan had, by the way, rights, if you would, to murder people down through the centuries because of the sin curse. But he had no right to take the life of Jesus Christ. Some would say that the devil then committed an unlawful act uh, by murdering The Lord Jesus Christ. And I would disagree with that. I think the reason why we celebrate the resurrection is that there is a huge price. But it wasn't the fact that 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 Satan murdered Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus was not murdered by Satan. Uh, Jesus was not necessarily murdered by Rome. Although we would say it was Rome that brought out the crucifixion. We say, well, Rome killed Jesus. And we could say, yes, in a physical sense, yes, uh, it was under Roman crucifixion. It was under Roman rule. I understand that. And that's necessarily was that even the Jewish leaders and the religious leaders uh, murdered Jesus. No, it wasn't necessarily that either. And people say it was uh, uh, us. It was us that murdered Jesus. In a sense, yes. But we necessarily did not murder Jesus Christ. Jesus was not necessarily a martyr. Please stay with me. I know some of you may be turning me off. But please stay with me as we develop a deeper understanding of what happened 2,000 years ago. He was not a martyr. A martyr would be someone that is dying for their religious beliefs. Jesus, though he was killed, though he was murdered, though he was unjustly crucified, it wasn't. At the hands of injustice, although it was at the hands of injustice. Jesus, listen to this, paid a high price for the resurrection because he became, listen, a willing sacrifice to death. There's a powerful difference between someone that is being involuntarily murdered to someone that is volunteering to be a sacrifice. So in other words, Jesus, uh, to use biblical words, Jesus allowed Satan to bruise his head, according to Genesis 3, verse number 15. Now, if you want some more biblical foundation on this, go to the book of John, chapter 10. I hope you can appreciate this thought here. And again, it's very difficult to put into words how much Jesus paid for. For our salvation. Do you realize the Bible says you are bought with a price? That means it costs something. You you know what I add is you don't get nothing for free. (laughs) Okay? You, You don't get nothing for free. I know it's a double negative, but it's true. You always have to pay something. And if you get something for free, it's probably costing someone, somewhere, something. And so you understand this, that when Jesus makes this statement about himself, about what he is going to do, this is going to be fulfilled in just a few months. In John chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Therefore, doth my father love me because I, watch this word, lay down my what? That I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of my what? Self. The, by myself, Jesus Christ, then he says, I am going to lay down my life. No man can take my life. I'm going to lay it down. And he says, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. Uh, this commandment have I received of my father. So Jesus is going to submit himself to something that no other ever, ever has this happened in human history. The very son of God is going to do something for man. Philippians 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of, of, of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus became 100% man while being 100% God. Yeah. And here's what it says in verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, listen to this, he, Christ, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was not necessarily murdered at the cross, he became obedient unto death at the cross. John 19 says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head And gave up the ghost. Hollywood would have you believe that uh, Jesus finally was done. And he just kind of dropped his head. The Bible uses a very interesting word. He bowed his head. He submitted himself to death. When Jesus in Luke 23 had cried with a loud voice. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands. He gives now his spirit. He commends his spirit to God. So listen to this. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, is submitting to the prince of darkness. The all-powerful son of God is submitting himself to the power of death. The creator is obeying the destroyer. That's a high price. That's one we cannot even comprehend on what happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus never sinned. He was never under the sin curse. He was never under the judicial right for the murderer to come and take his life. No, he came in too, as the Bible describes him, as a lamb led to the slaughter. He knew what he was going into. And as he went into that dark valley... It was with full understanding of what he was doing. He was dying. For his creation. You cannot understand. The resurrection. If you don't understand the price of the resurrection. He submitted himself. To death. And so backing up just a little bit. Watch me. We all deserve death. We all deserve it. We were born. it. The Bible says in Psalm 51 5. Behold, I David is speaking in the Old Testament. I was shaped and I was created in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. And as innocent as those babies are, they're sinners. They're sinners. And they're going to be accountable to their sins. We use the phrase, when they reach the the the, uh, account, the the age of accountability and say, when is that? <laughs> it is when they realize. I, and I say, Pastor, when is that? It, 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 and I'm, I'm saying this from a Genesis chapter three description is when they became sinners, Adam and Eve became sinners. The Bible says they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. You realize a little two year old or a one, hopefully not a three year old, but a little one year old, a two year old. They can run around that house with absolutely no clothes, clothes on. And there's no shame at all. And we say, that is cute. But it wouldn't be cute if five or six years old. Are you all here? Why? Because there is a level of shame that comes. And they say, I've got to cover myself. You all with me? And so as God's people understand that when people are born into this world, they're born into a sin curse. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Say, Pastor, I'm not that bad. It doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter. Listen, let me use it this way. It doesn't matter how a dog barks. A dog is still a dog. It doesn't matter if a, how a cat meows. A cat is still a cat. Be you all with me? It doesn't matter the level of sin you're in. You're still biblically described as a sinner. That's why any sin that displeases God, murder displeases God, stealing at any level displeases God, lying displeases God, adultery, fornication, any sexual sin displeases God. I can go through a list after list after list of what sin is, and I may not maybe get all of your sin, but listen, ladies and gentlemen, this Bible is full of 613 laws that man cannot keep. Why? Because we're sinners by nature. And it's the law that shows us. And so a logical conclusion is that we're the ones that should have paid for our sin. We owe God. Ezekiel, the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. There's always that that, that, that penalty that comes. And we owe God because of our sin. We deserve the punishment. But God had another plan. And Christ submitted himself to death because... Man rebelled against God and he sent his only begotten son to this earth who had never sinned to take our place to pay our sin debt by submitting to the death of the cross, bowing himself. So that price of the resurrection was a very high price. Don't ever be deceived into thinking. I talked to one man one time. He said, hey, if I were were alive during that time, I would have done the same thing. And I reasoned with him. I said, can you circle back around and tell me that again? Oh, yeah. He says, I would would die for people. I said, how is that? He said, well, think about it. He says, you go down in history as this famous person. He says, that's pretty cool. And he went through almost this blasphemous approach to it, having no understanding of what Jesus actually did in coming as a holy God that has never sinned and taking all of man's sins on himself. Though he was innocent, he became the sacrificial lamb dying for the sins of mankind. So it's not just one sinner dying for another sinner. It is a sinless God dying for undone sinner man. That's why the price of the resurrection was high. And I believe this, and I said this to the 9 o'clock hour, and I don't think I can fully understand this, but I believe what happens in the spiritual realm affects the physical realm. I believe we have rumblings in the physical realm based on what's happening in the spiritual realm. The the Bible says in, in the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So we understand... In this world, things are getting worse. And why are things are getting worse? Well, we compare that with Revelation twelve ten, where the Bible says that Satan, the Bible says, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil is cast down, having great wrath because he knoweth he hath, but a short time. So here's Satan working. Here's Satan, if you would, increasing, if you would, temptation in the last days, more sin, more murder, more disease, more war, more obscenity why to last days and that's being directly affected by the spiritual world so something happened in the physical world that rather the spiritual world that shook and i'm using that word literally it shook the physical world Look, if you would real quick, this is why I think there's something that took place. There was a huge transaction that took the the Bible says, tis done, tis done. Psalm says, tis done, tis done. The great transaction is done. Something happened when Jesus paid for man's sins. It shook us. It shook the world. In fact, if you look in Matthew 27, the Bible says in verse 45, are you all there? It's about 87 degrees in the church, so please forgive me. I've got to take this coat off. Verse 45, if you're watching in the air-conditioned home that you're in today, I'm glad. <laughs> it is hot in here. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness all uh, over all the land unto the ninth hour. That's interesting, isn't it? The sixth hour, of course, would be 12 noon. And Jesus was hung on the cross at our time at 9 o'clock in the morning. So from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, there was sunlight. From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, or from the 6th hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. I would have the opinion that the entire world was plunged in the darkness for 3 hours in the middle of the day. In fact, verse 46 says, And about the ninth hour... Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so this ninth hour is very interesting because at three o'clock in the afternoon, there was an incredible, intense darkness. No one could see anything. And yet from the cross, Jesus Christ cries this cry, this this this, uh, this statement, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And many believe at that very moment, Jesus Christ became that sacrificial lamb when entire sins of all those that have ever uh, lived and all those that will ever live, the sin of all that have ever come into this world was placed on him. A judicial act was taking place. And then it says in verse 47, some that stood there when they heard that said this man calls for Elias and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, let us be see whether Elias will come and save him. And then you see this phrase here. Jesus said Jesus when he had cried with a loud voice. Now, we understand what that loud voice and what he said in that that statement right there when he said it is finished. He bowed his head. He cried with a loud voice. And the Bible says, look at this phrase. He yielded up the ghost. Mike May pointed it out to me this morning. Very good word. He yielded up the ghost. Yield, meaning he gave it. Amen. Yeah. He yielded up the ghost. Very good word right there. And behold, now watch this. This is, the, this is something here. Happening in the spiritual world. If you can imagine this, because in the book of Psalms, the Bible says Jesus crying from the cross in the future. In Psalm 22, I believe he says, save me from the lion's mouth. The lion. Remember, first Peter five, eight says Satan as a roaring lion. He's referred to as a lion. Satan here wanting to destroy, devour Jesus Christ. Tried to kill him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here he is on the cross looking out through the spiritual eyes and the physical eyes. Every demon in hell has been summoned to Jerusalem. Every demon in hell is watching this crucifixion. Every demon in hell is watching as those nails are being put into his feet and into his hands. And the crown of thorns put into his brow. And the cat of nine tails that are whipping his back. The Bible says his his bones stare at him. He is a bloody mess on the cross. And you find here that Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, he said these words, it is finished. The sacrifice is now done. Watch this. The price is now paid. When that happened, watch this. Boom! The physical world was affected. What happened? Verse number 51. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. This is a physical world. And from top to bottom. (laughs) Now, anyone that's gone to Jerusalem with me, we we try to point out when we get to the temple institute the Herod's temple that existed in Jesus' time, a magnificent temple. It lacked the Ark of the Covenant that had been taken several years before that. But it was a place that the Jews would come and they would worship God based on the Old Testament dictates. And the veil of the temple, they estimate, would be somewhere around 40 to 42 feet high, 24 foot wide, and 4 inches thick. And this was the place beyond this veil that the Jewish people would go in with blood and they would sprinkle that on what was the Ark of the Covenant to be forgiven by their sins one more year. It was the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. It separated the holy place from the most holy place. When Jesus died on the cross, when he said, it is finished, the physical world was affected by the spiritual payment that was being paid and that God rent from the top to the bottom, that veil. He destroyed religion. Amen. And he can I say it this way? He ripped religion apart. Amen. I'm telling you what, man, what a savior. That, that's the spiritual world. Watch this. That's the spiritual world affecting the physical world. Doesn't stop there. Goes on to say, and the earth did what? Quake. Now listen. I don't know about you, but if you're there at the crucifixion day, these things are not coincidences. You realize a coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. These are not coincidences. The very moment that he said it is finished, the very moment he bowed his head, the very moment he became obedient to death. Earthquake. Wham. That's a physical thing happening from a spiritual transaction. Wow. This is the rocks rent. People try to understand what that meant. (laughs) There's rocks being split apart. The shock in the physical world that took place when Jesus died on the cross. You say, Pastor, how do you know? No, wait, Pastor, we stopped. Time out. That's just a coincidence. There was going to be an earthquake anyway. It's probably over a fault line. Okay, I'll give it to you. But the next verse throws you into another tailspin. Go with me. Because that next verse, it'll blow your mind. Watch what it says. And the graves were opened. That's been one thing. And many bodies of saints which slept arose. Amen. So whatever happened here was so powerful that now the graves are opened and there are people that used to be dead. They're alive. They're coming out of the grave. It's powerful. Are you with me? Something supernatural took place when the price was paid that shook this world. Amen. And then it says, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Hey, listen, I was dead for about 250 years. What do you think? <laughs> now, that'll blow your mind. It is no wonder. Listen, it is no wonder the very next verse, verse 54. Now, when the centurion, now listen, they carried out the crucifixion. They were there nailing this so-called Messiah, and I'm using their words to describe what they just did. This, this another Jewish leader that's causing an uprising. Let's get him done. Let's get him down off the cross. Let's get him in a tomb. Okay, the centurion, when he saw that, uh, and they that saw, rather, and that they that were with him watching Jesus, listen to saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, what does that mean? They saw. They saw things that they couldn't explain. They saw it. He said they feared greatly. And they made a declaration here, truly, truly. This was a son of God. Listen, listen. This is only point number one. I have six. (laughs) The point here to this morning, guys, ladies, is that we cannot comprehend the price that was paid to whatever it was. It shook the world in a physical sense. It shook the world. It shook religion, destroyed religion. Well, I'm just religious. Religion was the biggest enemy to the cross. Biggest enemy to the cross. It's a system. There's only two religions in the world there's man saving himself, which is many times represented in churches all across our land. Just got to try to do good, (laughs) keep the Ten Commandments. How are you doing on that? I'll get them a feedback here, guys. If you help me with the feedback, I feel like I'm in a can. But to appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, understand the price of the resurrection shook religion. Shook it, destroyed it. Can you imagine the priests coming into the, to perform their priestly duties? Thomas, what is that? The veil—it's gone. It's ripped. Can you imagine looking into this incredible sight? No more. No more Old Testament sacrifices. No more lambs, the lamb of the God, God, which take away the sin. He's come. He's already died. He's made the sacrifice. Now you can come right to the throne of grace. Listen, I don't have to go to someone to go to God. There is one mediator between mediator, meaning someone that goes between one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's there's no you don't need to go to someone to say, hey, can you forgive me? They can't forgive you of your sins. Why? They're a sinner. They're under the same penalty as you are. Jesus Christ is the only one that came back from the grave because he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What a price. The price of the resurrection shook the earth. The price of the resurrection shook religion. But there was not only... Listen, if we could stop right there, ladies and gentlemen, if we could stop right there and say, "Wow!" Well, if anything else right here... That is worthy to just rejoice that that price was paid. It was paid. It was paid. See, Pastor, I just you you can't. I can't understand fully what happened, but I know this: He's offering forgiveness. I paid it. I gave of my life. And do you realize? The Bible says, "Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission." And there's only nine pints of that. Huh. yet there's enough blood and those nine pints to save every human being that wants to be saved. There's nothing, listen, this whole idea of limited atonement, it's it's not in the Bible. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Limited atonement means that God is limiting the amount of, of those that can be atoned. No. Nine pints is all we need. Amen. Because there's a great price that was paid. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. Why do we celebrate? Because of the price of the resurrection. Number two. Number two, the power of the resurrection. Really, you realize to appreciate this power. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We understand there's a power in death. Death had power. In fact, it was under Lucifer's control for centuries. In fact, when you look at the resurrection of Christ, it was a historical event that displayed the power of God. Not only necessarily in the physical world, although it did, as we already mentioned, but something cataclysmic occurred in the spiritual realm that affected the physical realm again when he resurrected. So when he died on the cross, there's an earthquake. When he died on the cross, the people came out of the grave. When he died on the cross, the rent of the top, the, the top of the, uh, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Physical world just affected. But when he came out of the grave, the Bible says, and I'm going to read it for time's sake in Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Third day. And behold, there was a now the word here great earthquake. Now, I don't know, it could be a 9.0, 10.0, 11.0 on the rector scale. But the Bible says it's a great earthquake. So this is bigger than just an earthquake. We all with me this morning? So this is something big, okay? So now he's coming out of the grave, okay? And there's an earthquake. The physical world is being affected by what happened in the spiritual world. Boom! Here he comes out of the grave. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, not to let Jesus out. Amen. <laughs> But rather to show that he's out already, his countenance is lightning. This uh, angel, his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment was as snow. And for fear of the keepers did shake and became his dead man. Do you think? I'm I'm going to pretend I'm dead because whatever I'm seeing right here could kill me. And then the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Something cataclysmic occurred in the spiritual realm that affected the physical realm. Listen, you can't make this up. You can't make it up because dead people don't come out of the grave. It's a very important point here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Power of his... Wait, Paul? What? Time out, Paul. What are you talking about? Paul says, there's something I don't know and I want to know. Now, a lot of this this morning, you you go to colleges and universities to go to learn something that you perhaps do not know. Some people are very particular in what colleges they go to or what professor they want to study under. And they'll wait for years to get under a particular professor. Why? Because they know that that person knows something they want to know. And knowledge is very interesting, very powerful. The Apostle Paul, again, a, a former Pharisee, knew the law. Grew up in Israel, grew up at the feet of Gamaliel. This man had it. He had education. There are some things that he knew. He knew more than most in his class. He persecuted those that follow Christ. You can, say, you can say, the Bible says that he wrecked havoc on the church. He was a terrorist. Paul was. Terrorist. Yeah, amen. Now, he said, Paul says, I want to know something. I want to know about this power. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now listen, that phrase carries with it an incredible thought. There is something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is extremely powerful. Powerful. And when you get into that understanding, the power of that resurrection, it makes you and I say it this way, i not in any way trying to minimize this life, but it changes your view on the things that you value now. When you understand the power of the resurrection, this life is viewed in a whole different way. How do you know that? Because in the very chapter that he says, I want to know the power of the res- resurrection, here's what he says. But what things were gained to me, I counted Loss. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He said, listen, I want to know about this power. the power of the resurrection. And the more I wrap my mind around that power. I'm looking at my life, this is just empty and vain. All the things that I counted heavy and valuable, the 401Ks and the accolades and the promotions and the fancy cars and the things that we count as valuable. We said, you know what? I can put it in a big pile and it's as worthless as dung. Dung. So. The song that we sing in our hymn book, Be Thou My Vision, it's a very interesting song. It says this, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Riches I heed not, nor vain, empty praise for mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. And I hope this morning that the more you understand the resurrection, that you understand the vain emptiness of the things of this world really is. Would you be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I want to know him. I want to love him. Because he's done everything for me. Worthless. And yet to him, I was valuable. And you may say, I'm worthless. Oh, no, you're not. I'm a mistake. Oh, no, you're not. You don't know my life. I know, but Jesus does. And he loves you. He has gone through the very jaws of death into the valley of the shadow of death, in the dark domain of death, conquering it, resurrecting on the third day as he promised, and is willing now, by the power of God, to make you one of his children. One of his children. So, death this morning, understand this, was our enemy and still today is our enemy. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is rejoiced in because of the price, because of the power. And the purpose this morning is for us to be saved. To be saved. If I were to ask the richest man in the world today to stack all of his money in a pile and trade it for life, more life, without a thought. They would trade without a thought. Some of the wealthiest men in the world are the most miserable if they're not saved because they know that it's coming to an end. The life, the accolades, the the fame is all ending at the grave. I was in Hollywood a couple of uh, or several years ago It was one of those stories where there's times where I say, I just got to go see it. Oh, I thought I went to another planet. I really did. I thought this is not normal and it wasn't. Went down on Sunset Boulevard. My son was young then and we're driving. We saw the Hulk and we saw street performers. We saw some of the strangest people that I've ever seen i coming from Findlay, Ohio. I mean, that was a shock to us. Even South Jersey, it's a shock. So I just wanted to say, I said, I just want to walk down Sunset Boulevard. And so as I'm walking down Sunset Boulevard, I'm seeing all these stars, all these people's stars, Marilyn Monroe, all the ones that have died. And this overwhelming stench of, and I'm not trying to be in any way gross or des- descriptive here, but to just put it in words, this overwhelming stench of, of urine, of people and addicts and drugs, syringes laying in the gutters, empty cans of booze all over the place, street cars coming in trying to clean a mess up from the night before, and I thought to myself, wow. The entire life lived to have your star put in a cracked concrete sidewalk in Hollywood Boulevard full of booze and puke and urine. Wow. Yet, if I could talk to those that have already passed and say, could you trade or would you trade everything for more life? And they would say, absolutely. And yet, Jesus Christ, the one that went to the cross, the Bible says in 1 John 3 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose. Listen to this for this purpose. The son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Not only do I understand and we should understand the the extreme price that was paid at the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, but understanding the purpose of it. And that is to give you life. That when you trust Christ as savior, the same incredible power that was displayed when Jesus died on the cross, the same incredible power that was displayed in the physical world when He came out of that grave, is that power that is given to you to become a son of God. It is not your religion, your good works, or your looks, or your education, or you being a Baptist or any any other evangelical. It nothing to do with that at all. It is what are you doing with Jesus Christ? And He said this, totally throwing a monkey wrench. Into the theology. He says, I am the way. I am the life. I'm the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The price of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, and the purpose of the resurrection. The question here this morning is, is it a priority with you? Are you saved? Pastor, you can't make me saved. No, you're right. I can't. I said, that's a work of God. You can't coerce me to be saved. No, you're right. I'm trying to persuade you that Jesus is the only way you get life. But it's up to you to believe it. He displayed power over the elements. He fulfilled biblical prophecies that are innumerable. And yet you have the choice to say, ah, it's just a coincidence. I don't believe the Bible. You have that full freedom to choose that And die in your sins without Christ and go to eternity without God and spend it in hell. Your choice. It should be a priority to be saved. Well, I'll I'll wait some other time. I'll get saved some other time. You know, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You don't take your chances. None of us are given a, a guarantee that we have another 24 hours. All right. There's no hearsts. Okay. There's no. You hauls behind, behind Hurst. You can't take anything with you. Are you saved or are you not saved? Well, I'm religious, religion is a problem. Religion's trying to get you to heaven. Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, not religion. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, if I died, I want to go to heaven, and I'm not sure, and I want to be saved. Okay? Now, that is a question. Are you saved? Are you saved? If you're saved this morning, you ought to thank God for the, <laughs> the price that was paid. The power that was displayed, amen, and the promise that God gives, that there's going to be another resurrection. I didn't even get to that point. We only thank God for this day. Thank God that he came out of that grave.